Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in future fuels. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Christine Lenz of REN21, and we're going to talk about a couple of reports that REN21 has come out with, but the most recent one is the Global Status Report on the State of Renewable Energy. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tammy. I look forward to your questions. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, it's great to have you with us. And I've been following REN21's activities and analyses for a long time, and I've been itching to ask uh, some questions. I myself have read the Global Status Report, but before we get into that, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about REN21, its mission, and your role within the organization? Sure. Uh, REN21 was founded in 2004 at the first international conference exclusively debating renewable energy in Bonn in Germany. It is a multi-stakeholder network. I'm always calling it the coalition of the willing, bringing together actors from the private and the public sector that want to advance renewables towards uh, an energy transition. And um, we are based uh, at the United Nations Environment Program. We have a small uh, secretariat here. Uh, and from here, we coordinate a network of over 2,000 experts in the field of renewable energy, energy efficiency, and energy access. We are really bringing together industry, governments, international organizations, and, and NGOs. Myself, I'm the executive secretary of network, and I have the pleasure of working with a very international team and uh, really connecting the dots uh, of, of people working on, on renewable energy worldwide. So REN21 last week released its global status report on the state of renewable energy. Can you talk about some of the key findings um, from this year's report, including as it relates to, to transport? And what's new this year in the report compared to, to last year? And is there anything that surprised the team, you know, in, in terms of um, in, in preparing it? If I summarize 2016, it's really that we see that investors were able to acquire more renewable energy capacity for less money. So we had new record installed uh, power capacity in 2016 with 166 gigawatt added, which uh, in, represents an increase of around 9% uh, relative to 2015. We see that for the fifth consecutive year, investment in renewable power generating capacity was roughly double the investment in fossil fuels, reaching about 250 billion US dollars. We have also seen that compared to the previous year, to 2015, investment went down globally by around 23%. That's on the one hand uh, a result of significant price and cost reduction. And that's why it is that uh, more capacity was added for less money. Uh, it is, however, also uh, due to the delay in, in auctions in some countries, such as uh, South Africa, for example. We see that renewable energy has become really a global phenomenon. We now have 176 countries around the world with renewable energy targets, a large share with uh, power policies, but uh, we also see that there is still a, um, a gap with uh, countries having uh, policies to support uh, transport, uh, renewable energy uptake in the transport sector, and also in heating and cooling. Uh, 
The positive, on a positive note, is that 2016 was the third year in a row where global CO2 emissions from the energy sector remained stable, despite the 3% growth in the global economy and an increased demand for energy. So basically, what it shows is that we managed to decouple uh, emissions from growth, which I think is uh, very promising. However, we see that when we look at overall figures at the renewable energy share in final energy consumption, progress is slow. Uh, we uh, had, have about currently 19.3% of uh, global energy, final energy uh, consumption provided by renewables. That is slowly growing because on the one hand, energy demand is continuing to grow and also because the progress, most of the progress that we are making is in the electricity sector and in uh, heating and cooling and in transport progress is really relatively slow. And this is also the key uh, where further action is needed in order to upscale activities in, in these areas. So when you look, for example, at the transport sector, we see that liquid biofuels provide around 4% of the world road transport fuels. We see that biomass uh, is gaining shares in some parts of the world. Uh, and we also see that uh, we make progress in the electrification of the transport sector. However, not always these uh, electric transport policies are connected to renewable support. And this is something which, uh, which of course, is, is something that is important and that needs to happen more. What is really special, I think, about the Global Status Report is that it is not produced by a few individuals, but it's really, we have a quite international authoring team. And uh, this is complemented by a network of about 800 people from all around the world that provide data, that provide the expertise when reviewing the report. And uh, this report covers all sectors from electricity, from transport, and from uh, heating and cooling, all renewable technologies, wind, solar, biomass, geothermal, hydropower. It covers market and industry, investment uh, policy, provides the main market uh, trends, and also touches upon energy efficiency because we think that the demand side is very important uh, together with the supply side. For this year, we have a new section which is on enabling technologies and uh, energy system integration because we feel that there is a need to not only look at renewable energy uh, in an isolated way, but to really see them as part of the overall system. And so we are, we are trying to, to evolve uh, and to go with the market as it evolves. And I think what is really surprising for the team is on the one hand the, the great buy-in from the community uh, and also that we really managed to, to portray a very, very diverse picture. I have to say that also uh, we are doing putting a lot of focus on, on visual material, so all the graphs and the report itself uh, and, uh, and the highlights document can be downloaded from our website www.ren21.net. And uh, we also provide geographic information for the readers in the Renewables Interactive Map. So it is an exciting year. A lot is happening in the power sector, slow progress in transport, uh, heating and cooling. And um, we need to accelerate development uh, if we want to meet the Paris Agreement targets. So uh, it's good what's happening, but, but more needs to happen.
So why do you think tr- um, progress in transport is is so slow? And by the way, I will say I will um, link to um, the report itself, and I do think the graphics um, are really outstanding. I've used them um, myself, and um, I think it just makes such a huge difference. And really, the the pictures tell uh, you know are worth a thousand words. So I I do commend the group on that. But why do you think it's the progress is so slow in transport? First of all, I think it's it's a complex sector in the sense that uh, you need to really change behavior of people. You need to also the model shift needs to happen uh, away from probably individual mobility uh, in in our parts of the world towards more public transport. It requires uh, system thinking, integration of transport policies in uh, regional planning, and uh, and also I, I think what we have seen is that on the uh, electric vehicles, we have seen a massive uh, scale-up of, uh, of development. And that's definitely also reason, uh, one of the reasons for this is, I guess, because uh, that the, the costs uh, of electric vehicles have come down substantially. So we see that global development of EVs for road transport, particularly passenger vehicles, has grown rapidly. In 2016, global sales have reached an estimated 775,000 units. Uh, and that brings the, the total passenger EVs that were on the world's roads by the end of the year uh, to 2 million. So we see a, a rapid acceleration, uh, which is really exciting. The top five countries for passenger uh, EV development in 2016 were China, United States, Japan, Norway, and uh, the Netherlands. Those uh, five countries together account for about 78% of the year's global sales. Norway is well away, uh, well ahead of all the countries in terms of market penetration. It, of course, also requires a rolling out of charging infrastructures. But what we still see is that there is relatively little linking of renewable energy support and electric mobility. And this is something which should be considered more in the future because what we see that in 2016, the the majority, the lion's share of investment was in solar and in wind. So what we see is we move towards the system of integrating high shares of variable renewables. We have situation that countries uh, by now generate between 20 and 40 percent of their electricity from these variable sources. And what uh, in these situations, base load is becoming less important and flexibility is becoming important. And there, uh, there is a, a linkage between uh, the electricity sector and the transport sector and ultimately probably also the heating and cooling sector. I think we will see much more sector coupling in the years to come and really a, a convergence of these different sectors, which will uh, enable integration of higher shares of renewables because then the electric vehicles can serve as uh, a storage for electricity when it is generated by the variable sources, but when it is not uh, consumed at, at the same time. So I think lots of opportunities, but still the linking is uh, is slow I think that when actually looking at uh, development, that uh, development in the next will be much quicker. I think the penetration of renewables in the transport sector is going to grow more rapidly in the years to come. And mainly, main reason for this is that, that costs have come down. 
So I'm going to I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that shortly, but I want to go back to uh, or get to one of the things that was said in the report that you also um, touched upon, and that is that costs for renewable energies are dropping and in some cases becoming the least cost option for many countries. That's a finding from the from the report. But um, the report also says it's not happening, and you just said it's not happening fast enough to meet Paris Agreement targets. So what do you think needs to happen in your view? You with respect to that to accelerate the, the progress? I think, first of all, countries need to be consistent uh, with their commitments. On the one hand, they commit to, to climate objectives. On the other hand, we still have a situation that world governments spend four times the amount on fossil fuel subsidies than they spend on renewable support. Uh, and of course, uh, that is extremely distorting uh, energy prices. And that makes it much more difficult for renewables to compete on the market. So phasing out of fossil fuel subsidies is is very important. And uh, and I think what is needed really is uh, we know that the reaching of the Paris uh, objective means nothing else than a total decarbonization of the energy sector. This is not going to be reached by business as usual. Uh, there will need to be a significant phasing out of fossil fuels, of, of coal, and phasing in of renewable sources. And it is actually happening, but progress is, is slow, and the progress in the, in the heat sector is particularly slow. There is, uh, when we know that um, about half of the world's final energy consumption is used for generating uh, heat, and then when we see that uh, there are only 21 countries in the world with policies uh, for renewable heating and cooling compared to 126 countries that have enacted power policies. We see that there is still uh, a long way to go. And, and, and I think that is really important to close this gap. If uh, we are serious about the climate uh, commitments, then the other policy areas really need to follow and uh, we need to place uh, more uh, attention on system integration and on sector coupling of electricity, heating, cooling, and transport. I know fossil fuel subsidies isn't isn't necessarily a focus area for REN21, but I do uh, do happen to agree with you, and I wonder if you know with the U.S. announcement to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. You know, it, it's um, you know, there's all those kinds of implications. But the the one thing that I keep thinking about is because there was a separate uh, sort of uh, parallel discussions, you know, that the Obama administration was engaged in to you know to end um, fossil fuel subsidies, and it was sort of progressing and backwards and forwards, and you know, there was an effort to 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 try to come to some agreement, which didn't happen before the end of his term. But what I wonder is, because this does impact uh, renewables uh, and, and uh, newer energy, decarbonized energy technologies, uh, so forth, is that um, with the, the U.S. announcement to withdraw, that that fossil fuel subsidy discussion will just sort of be stalled. And do you have a view toward that? And do you, you know, do you see that um, impacting uh, renewables, or you know, or, or am I wrong about that? Well, effectively, uh, I think it was it came as a surprise to many of of, uh, of us that uh, President Trump, uh, who uh, is a businessman, 
is deciding to take the U.S. out of the Paris Agreement at the moment when corporations all around the world uh, commit to 100% renewable energy objectives, not only because they care about the climate, but also because these technologies have become uh, cost competitive. As a matter of fact, we don't know yet what the exact impact of this uh, U.S. decision is going to be. So far, what it has uh, shown was that there was a strong convergence and reinforcement of the other G7 countries plus China and India to stick uh, to the to the Paris commitments. And we must not forget, and we have seen this, that the U.S. is a, is a federal country and, and states uh, such as California and New York have, have really committed to very high shares of renewables. I think that the, uh, the whole discussion to phase out fossil fuel subsidies was agreed by the G8 already in 2009. There is, they are struggling. I think it's not easy, but it's something that, that would just simply help, uh, on the one hand, to make renewables more competitive. And at the end of the day, that would benefit uh, the economy of the countries because what we have to see is that countries in many parts of the world, others, other than the oil-producing ones, spend a lot of money on importing fossil fuels. And so if they reduce these shares and increase uh, the usage of uh, locally available renewable sources, then uh, that's not only good for the environment, but it's also good for uh, their pockets. So whether it's going to slow it down uh, or not uh, remains to be seen. I'm quite optimistic that also in the U.S. many corporations and many regions are going to stick to their renewable energy support policies because of uh, economic considerations effectively. So I want to go back to the comment that you made about biofuels, that you see um, biofuels consumption increasing over time because costs are, are, are coming down. When you said that, are you referring to, you know, first generation biofuels, second generation or advanced biofuels or both? And do you actually see uh, many countries turning to biofuels to meet their Paris Agreement targets? Because when I look at the nationally determined contributions, you know, biofuels pops up quite a lot um, in terms of strategies that, that countries plan to use to decarbonize transport. What we've seen that in 2016, uh, global biofuels production increased uh, around 2% compared to 2015, and it reached 135 billion liters. This increase was largely due to a rebound in biodiesel production after a decline in 2015. We see that the United States and Brazil remained the largest biofuel producers by far, accounting for about 70% of all biofuels globally, uh, followed then by Germany, Argentina, China, and uh, Indonesia. An estimated 72% of biofuel production in energy terms was fuel ethanol, 23% was biodiesel, and uh, about 4% was hydrogenated uh, vegetable oil. We, uh, so far, are not really uh, tracking progress on uh, advanced biofuels, but this is something that uh, we have already committed to do as of next year's Global Status Report. So, yes, there's progress in, in, in biofuels and in general. I think from uh, electricity, heating, cooling and transport, the transport sector is the most complicated to decarbonize. And, uh, and so both biofuel, because often I'm asked what, which uh, 
technology is going to win, whether it's going to be the biofuels or the electric mobility, I think it's important to really explore all routes. Uh, they will be needed for different applications for road transport. You need different solutions than for aviation. And, and also in the transport sector, one area that uh, is a bit not so much uh, looked after, that is uh, the, the shipping sector. Uh, also there, a lot needs to happen to make uh, shipping uh, more sustainable. So the solutions are out there, but we we still need to uh, increase uh, deployment, I would say. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it is, um, I think there are um, those advocates that, are, are really focused on electrification um, as the one and only route to uh, decarbonization. But I think the reality is, is given the complexity of mobility, consumers' behavior, what the makeup of cities are, large ones, you know, small ones, rural areas, so on and so forth, I think it's going to take a number of different uh, technologies, and that might even involve, to a significant degree, biofuels and a very advanced, you know, internal combustion engine. So there's, I, whenever anybody talks about, because I, I've been in this industry for for a long time, you know, when anybody tries to do a one size fits all, I'm 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 an immediately skeptical because I don't think that's um, that's the way that the, the world works. I think it's going to take a number of different options um, and the options, uh, you know, that are deployed will just it depend on, you know, a number, uh, you know, of the factors that I just, just mentioned. So I, um, I agree with you 100%. But I do want to ask you, since you brought up shipping, REN21 released a report um, also recently on the feasibility and challenges of meeting 100% renewable energy target future. And as part of that report, it was noted that R&D was urgently needed for the shipping and marine sectors. So I'm um, when I saw that and I read the report, I was really amazed because um, RIN 21 found, you know, there's really no little to no attention. There's attention in the aviation sector, but there's little to no attention in the shipping sector. But if you look at, you know, emissions, for example, um, you know, the, the and also especially uh, demand. So that you know, there's a lot of focus on the passenger car fleet, for example, um, and decarbonizing that fleet, which is appropriate. But if you look at where the demand is coming in the future, you know, the demand is coming from aviation. It's coming from shipping, it's coming from heavy-duty trucking, and it's coming from petrochemicals. And it's really, it's an enormous amount of, of growth. So the disparity of, a, of attention, you know, knowing those numbers and then reading that report was really, um, it, it's shocking, the, the disparity there. So what was your, your view of, of that? Um, and um, what was the reaction to that finding after you guys re released that report? The one you referred to, the Global Futures Report, is the report we released, and, uh, and for this we interviewed about 115 experts from all around the world about their opinion on the feasibility of a 100% uh, renewable energy future. We have then analyzed all these responses and have summarized them in what we call the uh, 12 great debates. Not a report advocating 100% renewable energy is really a report uh, trying to distill what the discussions need to be uh, for advancing uh, renewable energy uptake uh, globally. And uh, first of all, 
for me it was very surprising that we had uh, 71% uh, of the experts uh, agree that um, 100% renewable energy future is is feasible. We effectively, uh, when we present the findings in the in the transport sector, that there is uh, not enough uh, attention on R&D for shipping. Uh, uh, and uh, and also part, partially to to aviation, there is a lot of um, people agreeing uh, to these findings. What we are right now in the process of doing is organizing regional debates. I will be next week in India to debate there with high level audience about the status and the future of renewable energy. We are really using the report to create debates, and uh, we would be more than happy to also. Uh, initiate more targeted debates in the transport sector to shed a light on these topics. I mean, what what we see is um, that um, the, the shipping sector in the in the last uh, couple of years had to um, deal with some financial challenges, and therefore there was not uh, enormous amounts of uh, of money available for R and D. But definitely, uh, this this needs to change if we are serious about decarbonizing the transport sector uh, by uh, by mid century there there needs to be uh, there needs more needs to happen there is a lot of agreement on this and uh, uh, the report was just launched and we will really use this in the in the months to come to uh, bring people together following the approach of rent 21 bring people together from the private and the public sector to identify uh, routes and uh, and and ways uh, to enhance collaboration that, that this is actually tackled. So the last question I have for you is back to electric vehicles. The global status report is really, you know, just just that. It's not a, a future outlook per se. But how does REN21 view the growth potential of the electric vehicle market? I think that uh, what we're going to see in the, in the years to come is uh, a significant uh, increase in um, electric vehicles. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, in, in la- in the la- during the last year, we saw global sales of estimated 775,000 units, bringing the total to more than 2 million. But we already see from these figures how quick the increase was uh, compared uh, to the curve was, was growing just much uh, slower in the, in the previous years. We also see that um, some countries are taking the lead. We see that costs come down and also that reach of the vehicles is expanding and which I think makes them more convenient to use. We also see very encouraging developments in uh, emerging economies with uh, development of two-wheelers, electric two-wheelers, etc., etc. We have just recently heard an announcement from the Minister for Transport uh, of India saying that by 2030, all cars on Indian roads will be electric. So I think these are very bold statements. There is a lot of uh, appetite uh, in the market to to go down uh, the electrification pathway. And uh, it's going to be definitely exciting times uh, for this sector in the years to come. All right, we'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Christine so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you, and I hope to have you back again. Thanks a lot, Amy. 
Please uh, do us a favor before you go today. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking and keeping the show visible so that other people can discover and hopefully benefit from it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on future fuels and vehicles issues, sign up for my free newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.